0: As I begin the message today, I'd like to ask for your help. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to show you the lyrics of some of the best-known love songs of all time. In fact, these are from the, uh, the top 100 love songs, and I'm going to give you um, some of the lyrics with a blank, and you get to fill in the blank. So are you ready? Here we go. Here's, here's the first one. Yeah, Love Me Tender, and who's the artist? Elvis Presley, and he is not in the building this morning. All right, here's the next. All you need is love. And of course, that's the Beatles. All right. And then Billy Joel sang, I love you just the way you are. This was actually a gift to his wife, Christy Brinkley. And then another classic by this iconic singer, What's Love Got to Do with It? Penetrating question by, does anybody know? Yeah, Tina Turner. And here's one final love song. This is actually one that a lot of people have danced to at weddings. Have I Told You Lately That I Love You by Rod Stewart. Now, it was interesting because as I looked at these these songs, I noticed, boy, these are old. I mean, they go way back. And what's interesting is that I found another, um, another source that had some statements about love that's even older than these songs. Um, and it's uh, really quite remarkable. Let me show you one. You get to fill in the blank. Are you ready? Here's the first. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And, of course, that's a Bible verse from 1 Corinthians 13. And what about this verse? Whoever does not love does not know God because God is Love, now that's a really dramatic statement. It doesn't just say God is loving, but God's essential character is love. Love defines who God is. How many of you have ever heard this statement, God loves you? Have you ever heard that? Probably all of us have. But here's the really important question I want you to consider this morning. Do you really believe that? Not just with your head, but with your heart. And here's why I ask, because when life is really hard, when things happen to us that we don't understand, when when things are painful, when things happen to people that we love that really hurt them, sometimes there's this doubt that creeps into our lives, and there's a question, does God really love me? Because if God really loved me, why did I get cancer? If God really loves me, then why did my parents get divorced? If God loves me, why did my child get sick? If God loves me, why did I lose my job? There was a a book that I read a number of years ago written to teenagers and the title was this. If God loves me, why can't I get my locker open? There are all kinds of reasons that we might doubt that God really, really loves us. Today as we continue our series called We Are the Church, we're going to explore how much God loves us And how we can know that for sure. We've been looking at a book of the Bible called Ephesians written by Paul. Follower of Jesus in the first century. And Paul deeply wants people to understand how great God's love is. And we come to chapter 3 and in verse 17 Paul says this. And I pray that you. Now he's writing to Christians in the city of Ephesus. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints. Now a saint is just a follower of Jesus Christ. The power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love, to know by experience, by first-hand experience, this love that surpasses knowledge. And here's the reason, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, in these verses, Paul's basically saying, I want you to understand how big God's love really is. Church, I was praying that early this morning for each one of you. I hope this morning that each one of us will have a better Understanding, a better grasp, if you will, of how big God's love really is. So, how big is God's love? Well, imagine this a couple is sitting at the kitchen table, they're eating breakfast, the guy's working on his iPad, his wife is attempting to have a conversation with him, and finally, in frustration, she blurts out, Are you even listening to me? Her husband replies, Yeah, I can repeat every word you said. Now, here's the question What does his wife want? Now, guys, sometimes it's really hard to figure out what women want, but not in this case, because here's what his wife wants. She wants him to stop working on his iPad, look her in the eye, and pay attention to her. Look at the statement on your outline. God's love is so big that it pays attention. God's love pays attention to us. One of the most remarkable things we see in the Bible about God's love is that he pays really close attention to us. Even though he's busy running the entire universe, God notices everything that's happening in your life and mine. Jesus said this one time. He said that God has numbered the hairs on your head. Now think about that. That's pretty specific. That's pretty detailed. So if a hair falls out, does God notice? Yep. Does he replace it? Maybe, maybe not. Think about this. Ladies, here's a question. When it comes to hair and hairstyles, If you change your hairstyle, what happens if the man in your life doesn't notice? That's not a good thing, is it? No, that's not good at all. Because how does it make you feel if this man in your life doesn't notice that you've changed your hairstyle? You feel like you're not that important or you might even feel unloved. God notices everything about you. He pays attention to you. Because that's what love does. Look at this passage from Psalm 139. You have looked deep into my heart, Lord, and you know all about me. You know when I'm resting or when I'm working, and from heaven you discover my thoughts. You notice, you notice everything I do and everywhere I go. Right now, God has noticed that you've come to church. Throughout this day, throughout this week, he's going to notice everything you do and everything you say. Look at this verse as it continues, before I even speak a word, you know what I will say. God pays attention to every detail of our lives because he loves us that much. Now, I want you to look at another verse, and these verses are often found on plaques in Christian bookstores. This is a blessing from the book of Numbers, and it says this. These are actually words that God gave to the priest to bless his people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his, and what's that next word? Face. I think this is where the idea of FaceTime comes from. Seriously, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And here's the point. When somebody turns their face towards you, that means that they're giving you their full and undivided attention. And that's an expression of love. You know, for Israel, for Israel, One of the greatest tragedies that they could imagine is if God turned his face away from them because that means God's not paying attention. God's not looking at us and what's happening in our lives. Look at this passage from Psalm 27. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Now, here's the flip side of God loving us so much that he constantly pays attention to us. In order for us to love God, we need to pay attention to him. We need to give him our full and undivided attention. There's a a verse in Psalm 46 that says this, Be still and know that I am God. Think about this. Think about a pond where the surface of the water is completely still. Now, if you throw a rock into the middle of that pond, what's going to happen? Ripples are going to go out in every direction. But imagine this. Imagine there's a storm. The wind is blowing really hard. It's raining. If you now throw a a pebble or a rock into the middle of that pond, you're not going to see the ripples because there's chaos on the surface of the water. And the same thing is true of our hearts. If your heart is still... And God speaks. It's like a rock hitting the surface of your heart and you, you feel the ripples go out in every direction. You know God is speaking to me. And sometimes he speaks through his word or through a, a song or through another person, through his spirit. But what if there's a storm in your heart? What if you're so distracted and busy that there's chaos in your heart? It's really hard to hear God. And so friends, the point is, we have to learn to, to be still. And I know that's a lot easier said than done. Because life is often full of so many commitments and so much to do and there never seems to be enough time. But if we want to know how big God's love is, we have to be still and listen for his voice. So how big is God's love? First of all, God's love is so big it pays attention. And secondly, God's love is so big that it gives. That's the next thing on your outline. God's love is so big that it gives. Jesus said this, For God so loved the world that he gave. His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. The Bible tells us that God is a Father who loves to give good gifts to His children. So let me ask you this. What gifts has God given you this week? Now, this is not a rhetorical question. Just tell me, what are some, what are some gifts that God's given you this week? Anybody? Patience. That was a response in the first service as well. So somebody's been praying for patience. But God can give us patience as a gift. Isn't that true? What are some other gifts that God gives us? What's that? Health, Health certainly. Yeah, other things. What's a gift? Let me go to this side of the room. What, what's a gift that God's given you this week? Life, yeah. Or you wouldn't be here right now. What else? What are some other gifts that God's given you? Friends, okay. Good, what else? Center section. What, what gift has God given you this week? Anything. Okay. Peace. Okay, that's huge, isn't it? You know, if you were to write down all the gifts that God gives us, it would be an enormous list, wouldn't it? I mean, think about the gift of joy. Does anybody need more joy in their life? That's a gift that God gives us. And listen, every time God gives us a gift, it is an expression of his what? Expression of his love. Because that's what love does. Love gives There's a book that I really recommend. It's called The Five Love Languages. Anybody familiar with that book? Now, that's good. The thesis of the book is simply this, that there are different ways that people give and receive love, and they're called love languages. Now, imagine that there's a married couple, and the husband speaks only English, and the wife speaks only Spanish. They would have some communication issues, right? And the the husband is trying to express love, so he says to his wife, I love you. And she just kind of looks at him, because she doesn't speak English. And she's trying to express love to her husband and she says, te amo. And he's looking at her like, I have no idea what you're saying. Why? Because they don't speak the same language. And love works in much the same way. Now, the author of the book, his name is Gary Chapman, he identifies five different ways that people express love. And some of you know these ways. One is spending quality time with each other. Another is words of affirmation. Physical touch is a way to express love. There's... um, giving gifts and acts of service, all of these are love languages. Now, what's interesting is that if you try to express love to somebody and they don't speak that love language, they're not going to feel loved. This is what it says on the cover of the book. Perhaps your husband needs to hear encouraging words, but you feel that cooking a nice dinner will cheer him up. When he still feels down, you're puzzled. Or maybe your wife craves time with you. Time away from the kids and TV and the flowers you gave her don't communicate that you love her. What's the solution? Learn to speak each other's love language. And this is what I find fascinating. God speaks all of these love languages. In fact, we see each one of them displayed in the life of Christ. For example, did Jesus spend quality time with his disciples? Well, absolutely. He spent three years of his life giving them his full and undivided attention. What about this? Did Jesus give people words of affirmation? All the time. What about acts of service? One of the most memorable is when Jesus washes the dirty feet of his disciples to express his love for them before he goes to the cross. Did Jesus ever express love through physical touch? Yeah, think about the people that he healed. He would take his hands and place them on a person with leprosy or or on the eyes of a blind man. And in that physical act of touching somebody, he expressed love. Or what about this? Did Jesus ever express love by giving gifts? We know that he did because he gave the greatest gift, himself, to us. So, how big is God's love? What's the first thing, church? It's so big that it what? You can tell me it what? Pays attention. Secondly, God's love is so big that it gives. And here's the third thing God's love is so big that it forgives. His love is so big that it forgives. Check out this Bible verse from 1 John chapter 4. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Last night I was in the car driving with my wife and I was talking to her about a movie that I really really like. It's called The Apostle with Robert Duvall. Has anybody seen that movie? It is such a powerful film, and Robert Duvall actually wrote it and directed it and was nominated for an Academy Award, but the story of the, of the film is that Robert Duvall plays the part of this charismatic preacher, his name is Sonny, and Sonny finds out that his wife is having an affair with a youth pastor, and so Sonny goes after this guy with a baseball bat, hits him in the head, he goes into a coma, and then dies. Well, at this point, Sonny decides that the best thing to do is to leave town, so he does. And he goes to Louisiana, and he starts a brand new life. He takes a new identity. He actually starts to pastor a congregation, and things are going really well. But one of the things that I think is fascinating about the movie is this. It's really honest. Because even though Sonny is a preacher, he is a deeply flawed man, and he knows it. One of the most powerful scenes in the movie is toward the end. Sonny's been on the run for quite some time and now the police are finally closing in. And he's preaching, it's nighttime. You see the police cars surround the church where Sonny is preaching. And he knows this is probably gonna be his last sermon. And so the police are waiting for him to finish before they arrest him. And you see Sonny, he goes to the front of the church and he takes this little boy being held by his mom and he takes this this child, And he brings the child up to the front and he holds him in his arms. And this is what he says. This is the actual dialogue from the movie. He says, look at these beautiful, beautiful little hands as he holds up the hands of this little boy. He says, look at them. Now imagine a nail piercing the palms of these beautiful hands and then picture that nail going into an old board. I know I don't have that much love in me to do this to my son. Do you? I know I don't. I don't have that much love in me But God does. God does. You know, Sonny knows that he is a guy who's made a lot of bad choices. But there's something he knows beyond all doubt. God loves him. And he knows that God's love has made a way for him to be forgiven. And friends, this is so critically important for us. Today we're celebrating communion. And Jesus said, do this in what? remembrance of me. What does Jesus want us to remember? I mean, we do this over and over again. What are we supposed to think about? What are we supposed to remember? And it's simply this. He loves me. We sang it earlier. He loves me. He is for me. And that's what God wants us to know this morning, that he has this incredible love for us. And when life is hard, when life doesn't make any sense, when doubt starts to creep into our hearts, we can look back and go, wait, wait, I know he loves me because he died for me. And he came back to life and he's giving me a new life right now. And that's what God wants us to know this morning. That his love for us is real. His love for us is powerful. His love for us changes everything. And that brings us to this next statement about God's love and and how big it is. God's love is so big that it pursues us. His love is so big that it pursues us. How many of you ever played a game called hide and seek when you were a kid? Pretty simple game, isn't it? There's only two rules. One rule is to hide, the other is to do what? To seek. Now, the people who hide, they really get the best job, right? Because when you're the hider, you get to keep your eyes open, and you get to choose where you're going to go hide, and you feel like you're in control. But if you're the person who seeks, I mean, that's that's kind of the tough job, isn't it? Because you have to close your eyes, and you have to count to some arbitrary number while everybody runs away. And in fact, the title that they give you when you're the seeker isn't one of great respect, Because, you know, in other sports, they call you the center, the quarterback, the goalie, whatever. What's the title given to the person who seeks in hide and seek? What do they call that person? It. I get to be it. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Now, think about this. As we read the the story in the Bible, this drama of redemption, it's like this cosmic game of hide and seek, isn't it? Because we're hiding from God. And Jesus comes to our world and he says, I'll be it. Because I'm going to go find these people that are hiding, these people who are lost. Because I want to bring them home. And that's exactly what Jesus says. This is in Luke chapter 19. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Think about the story in the opening pages of the Bible about Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve disobey God, what do they do? They hide. As if... They could hide from God. And what does God do? God comes looking for them. Isn't that incredible? It really is. And and here's the point. If you're a believer this morning, do you realize this? The only reason that you're a believer, the only reason that you're a son or a daughter of God is that Jesus Christ pursued you and found you and rescued you. Because he loves you. And I'm convinced that Jesus deeply, deeply wants us to understand how much. He wants us to understand this love that is so enormous and and phenomenal and stupendous. Because once we do, once we begin to understand that, it changes everything. And it brings us to this last statement on your outline. God's love is so big, so big that it enables us to love others the way that he loves us. This is a, a passage from John 13. Now, Jesus says this just before he's arrested. And he said this to his disciples. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another I want to do this I want you to think with me about how God loves us and what that means in terms of how we're supposed to love each other so if you've got your notes in front of you it says God's love is so big what's the first thing we talked about God's love is so big that it pays attention so if you want to love people the way that God loves you what do you need to do yeah pay attention to their words and to their hearts You have to turn your face toward them and really listen and try to understand because that's what love does. We also said that God's love is so big that it what? What's the second word? It gives. It gives. Love gives. And we talked about those love languages that sometimes you give love by spending quality time with somebody, by giving them words of affirmation, by physical touch, by acts of service, by all these different ways. We need to give ourselves to other people in order to express love. And what was the the third thing? God's love is so big that it forgives. That's a really hard one. Some of you this morning have been deeply hurt by other people. Deeply disappointed. And it's really hard to forgive. God understands that. He does. But He has forgiven us. And in the same way that He has forgiven us, He calls us to forgive others. And listen, I believe that it's only as we really accept god's love and experience god's love that we're able to give that love to somebody else who's hurt us so deeply because god's love can heal our hearts and what's the fourth thing god's love is so big that it what it pursues us sometimes when people let us down people disappoint us people hurt us we write them off right sometimes it happens with family with friends did god write us off no He came looking for us. He pursued us. And maybe this morning, there's somebody in your life that God wants you to pursue with his love. Let me close with this story. It's a story, a very powerful story, about God's love. And it goes like this. It was February 1941, Auschwitz, Poland. Maximilian Kolbe was a Franciscan priest put in the infamous death camp for helping Jews escape Nazi terrorism. Months went by, and in desperation, an escape took place. The camp rule was enforced. Ten people would be rounded up randomly and herded into a cell where they would die of starvation and exposure as a lesson against future escape attempts. Names were called. A Polish Jew, Frandyszek Gysapniczek, was called. He cried, wait, wait, I, I have a wife and children. Maximilian Kolbe stepped forward and said, I will take his place. Colby was marched into the cell with nine others where he managed to live until August 14th of that year. This story was chronicled on an NBC news special several years ago. Gisovnicek, by this time 82 years old, was shown telling this story while tears streamed down his cheeks. A mobile camera followed him around his little house to a marble monument carefully tended with flowers. The inscription read, in memory of Maximilian Colby, he died in my place. Every day, Gisavnicek has lived since 1941. He reminds himself, I live because someone died for me. And every year, on August the 14th, he travels to Auschwitz in memory of Maximilian Kolbe. Church, today we're here in memory of the one who died so that we might live. The one who said, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life first friends let's pray father today we're so thankful for this this love that's so indescribable this love that defies our ability to comprehend it is so vast god and i pray this morning lord that as we as we celebrate communion as we remember what jesus has done what he is doing and what he's promised to do for us that that you'll remind us, God, of how great your love is. And that as we understand that, it would change everything, God. It would change how we love ourselves and how we love other people. And so, Lord, in these moments right now, I pray that, that you'd make us aware, God, of your presence and your power and your peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.